Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Hallelujah. We give you praise. You are the one that does miracles. We give you glory. We give you honor. We praise the name of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Blessed be thy holy name. Blessing and honor and glory unto you, O God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wonderful Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the testimony that we just heard of the little child. You blessed the couple, O God. You honored their faith. You built their faith by your word. And then you came down and anointed it for the need that they had, O God. Blessed be thy name, O Lord. You are the mighty one that does exceeding abundantly. And Lord, we thank you for that family. We thank you for this time that we have together this morning. Today, we just want to commit ourselves into your hands. And Lord, we ask your blessing upon this service for your glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may have your seats for a moment. Sorry to keep you standing and then sitting and then standing. We'll stand one more time for the reading of the word. But first, I want to make a few comments. Uh, firstly, welcome all the visitors that are here this morning. Maybe they've already been welcomed. I want to just greet you each one. The saints from Victoria, I noticed Brother Anselm was here this morning. God bless you. And I think Brother Kyle was here this morning. He's probably somewhere in the balcony or something. Oh, there he is. Or looked right past you. <laughs> You're usually sitting further back with your family. Nice to see you. There's room in the front row here too if you want. Praise the Lord. Good to have you here. Amen. And uh, thank you to the Sunday School for the offerings, uh, both uh, the offering for Bibles and the offering today. God bless the children learning to give to the Lord, and may God use that abundantly, and that will be accounted to them throughout all eternity. Amen. We've had a wonderful week. I was just uh, pondering uh, the week, and Brother John started us out on Wednesday with graduation, and uh, how that... Uh, you know, that's means a lot of things to a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And uh, uh, then uh, Friday night we, it was the grad at the school and uh, we heard from Brother Biscoe, inspiring words and and uh, also heard from Brother Tom. And uh, as he closed uh, the grad, they called it a benediction. And if there's no recording of it, I don't think. But if you wanted to hear a perfect benediction, that was one. I, I was amazed as I sat there, unless I thought, I don't know how you could say it any better. And it was just really uh, good, and I don't say that to flatter him. Uh, maybe when I grow up, I can be like him. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, we appreciate all the gifts that God puts in the body. And, uh, and, uh, Brother Murphy last night, he's probably translating this morning. So, Brother Murphy is a wonderful preacher and he's a wonderful brother. I just say that to make him translate that into Chinese. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he spoke last night and, and, uh, was very, uh, 
very wonderful subject. Brother Tom's already mentioned it, so I won't mention it. But uh, I was going to ask him. I haven't had, even had a chance to 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 talk to him, but he also has the most outstanding student in the whole school. And uh, and my, I don't know how that feels like to have that. But God bless the 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 Wong family. So we've had a smorgasbord of preachers this week, and uh, I felt like after singing. Uh, shout to the Lord, we could just close in prayer and I'll go home. <laughs> Nervous laughter goes through the sanctuary. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I, I wouldn't be, I would be remiss if I, there was a couple of other events that uh, took place this week, if you would put the slides up for me, first of all. And uh, the... Uh, there was a couple brothers that I want to make mention of that had their graduation this week also. And uh, both of them were promoted to go home to their reward. And these are significant brothers. Firstly, I want to mention Brother Zephaniah Peters, who was taken home uh, there in Tanzania and uh, lived to be about 70 years old. I think it was 70 years old. Just a real gallant hero of the faith as you see on the banner there at his funeral gathering you know how many knew brother Zephaniah he's he's preached here I'll give you evidence of that and uh, he uh, he's just such a humble and unassuming servant of Christ who in simplicity and in humility operated in such a realm of fearlessness i know that firsthand uh, having been with him and you would never know from the outward man because he was so unassuming he was a very small brother if you look at the angle of the camera you can see he's even shorter than our brother tom not that brother tom is short but he was even less of stature than brother tom and uh He's stayed in my home and loved by my family, my children. And uh, I was with him there in Tanzania, and I just wanted to mention this in a couple of things so you can get a, a picture of Brother Zephaniah. Here, here we are preaching actually on the hills of Mount Kil- on the slopes of Mount Kilimanjaro. And uh, he, uh, he planted this church here. I think the pastor's name is Brother Caleb, but I could be wrong. And uh, this is the only church, Protestant church, in a Catholic area. This is all, this area is entirely Catholic. And uh, every other denominational group, whatever it is, who tried to plant a church in this area was driven out, literally, by the Catholics. But God allowed the believers to gather the predestinated of God in this area. Brother Zephaniah is a fearless brother. He all, here we are here with the group. He, and uh, he, he also was a man that would go and preach amongst a tribe called the the Barbags uh, is how we would pronounce it. It's maybe Barabag or something in the in the in the writing of it, which is a very fearsome tribe that actually lived in holes in the ground, and they were competitive to the Maasai tribe, and they would just as soon kill you as talk to you. 
And so Brother Zephaniah himself, he says, Brother Tim, I won't even take you there because uh, it's very dangerous to go there. Though we went to some places in the jungles there, but he, he, he would go himself, by himself, and go and introduce Jesus Christ in this tribe. Just a wonderful, wonderful servant of God. I never met anybody that had more of a Christ-like nature than Brother Zephaniah. And I know he's gone on to his reward, and may God bless his family. And may God bless the church there and put the burden of the word upon other men of God in that country. He was responsible for the planting and the the uh, uh, spreading of the gospel and the planting of many, many churches in the country of Tanzania. This, here he is on his... On his favorite place, his, his own farm grew 26 varieties of bananas there. Was really nice. Had some myself. The other brother I want to mention is Brother Swami in India also passed away this week. Brother Swami was 97 or 98 years old. Just lived a good long life there in India. Was used of God to, they tell me, to establish 75 churches in his lifetime. Uh, he was on the board of the William Branham Good News Society and was a great supporter of the printing that was done in India and, uh, and uh, was a great encourager of the work there. He loved Brother Biskel very much. He told me that when I was there. And uh, even the family wrote to me and said he always spoke about Brother Biskel as his very good friend. And that was his words of Brother Biskel. And, and he felt that Brother Biskel had a great vision towards this gospel. And we would say amen to that. And uh, Brother Biskel helped them there to, to get the land, I think, for the church that they're in. And uh, uh, he also, they tell me, uh, in his later years, spoke very highly of Brother Kim Dingwall. I wouldn't want to let that go without mentioning it, Brother Kim. You were on Brother Swami's mind, and and he appreciated the work that you did in the printing, in the missions work there in India. And he he would sometimes even stream our services, even into his 90s. So, you know, here's a man that, they said, till his last, last breath, anyone who would visit him, he would preach to, and ask them to serve the Lord with spirit and truth. And he would hold our hands and say, serve the Lord in whatever way possible. He was always a walking, talking, living testimony for this word. Amen. Amen. So may God bless our dear uh, brother Swami in heaven. He is blessed. And his family, here's a, a little bit earlier picture of his family there. And... Uh, uh, he was he was there, and even a couple of years ago when we were in India, he was still out and about, and, and a number of brothers came to visit us there. Uh, that's not really that important, but God bless him, and God bless his family, and thank God, you know, here here we are in this late hour, and we speak of, we had the little ones singing here in Sunday school, and we had the, the graduates from high school and from college, and but there's also graduates from this life to another life. It's been a graduation week. And, and uh, I also want to make mention of one other thing in, regarding missions before we go to the Word. Uh, I want to just say that thank you for everyone that is given towards Project Uganda, both here and abroad. Uh, if you'll notice the thermometer graph that we've had in the back, it's reached the goal. And we say praise be to God. And we know that, you know, 
people overseas think if you live in North America, that money grows on trees. And in third world countries, they have this idea that money's no object. But I know it takes sacrificial giving, even for North American believers, to reach that kind of an objective. And God bless you, each and every one that gave, whether it was a dollar or whatever amount it was, God will reward you abundantly. And the, the, even though we've reached the goal, I don't want to say if the Lord lays on your heart to give more, there's many more needs. There's more needs than we can ever supply there. And if God lays something on your heart, and I just thought I'd give you just a little video tribute that I got in yesterday. I put the, the clips together, had my daughter put it together for me. And, and, uh, and so just to give you a little bit, this has just taken place either yesterday or the day before the baptisms, the revival still going on there in Uganda. Go ahead and play that clip for us. Amen. Praise be to God. Let's stand together. Let's sing that one more time. My Jesus, my Savior. Lord, there's none like you. Think about the graduation. Think about the word you've heard. Think about the baby dedication and the miracle. Think about the revival in Uganda. Think about our brother Peters and our brother Swami who were graduated to their reward and have left behind footprints on the sands of time. There's nobody like our Jesus. Let's rejoice in his presence. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord,
Heavenly Father, Lord, as the poet wrote, footprints on the sands of time. That's what's left of lives that have graduated, oh God. And I couldn't feel to go on today without honoring the memory of a couple of real soldiers, Lord. We wouldn't have time to mention everybody that had passed on. But these were gallant soldiers of the cross. Lord, may our lives measure up to the call that you have laid upon our lives. Sons and daughters of God that are gathered together this morning under the sound of an eternal voice. A voice that will not die until it has accomplished all that it has been sent for. Lord, you have sent a message around the world. As the scripture says, you send out your voice and it's a mighty voice. It moves people in Tanzania. It moves people in India. It moves people here in Canada, United States, oh God. It moves us, Lord, and brings us into position. And Lord, I pray that you'll anoint your word afresh this morning as you take this little gift of the part of the body of Christ. And Lord, may you speak to the members of your body in such a way that they will know that's not the voice of a man. I heard the voice of my God this morning. May you discern every need in every life and may you direct the word which you are to that need, we pray. We're asking, Lord, for your preeminence. We commit this now to you, this final portion of the service, yet the most important portion of the service, your word. We ask your blessing upon it and your anointing to it. May you bless it to the hearer. We pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn together, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter in the Bible. I was particularly moved, been thinking all week of last Sunday morning service, Brother Biscoe's service, and was very, very affected by it myself personally, and uh, inspired, I, I won't say, uh, well, it caused me to go down the path that I'm going to go down this morning. And uh, may the Lord help us uh, just take a little thought. Uh, it's uh, certainly the time has gone on. We've been in the service for about an hour and 15 minutes, but uh, we only have one service today. But we do have uh, an event this afternoon, so I'll try not to keep you too long. You know I can be concise, but I know you can pull. Amen. And so it's really up to you. And uh, so let's read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse uh, 24. I want to speak on the unveiling of the attribute within and uh, particularly about Moses. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a strong verse. Doesn't say chose not to or or didn't like to be called or he said refused 
to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. As seeing him who is invisible. The Lord had his blessing to the word. You may be seated. I want to take right away a quote out of the message. 1958, Brother Branham speaking on the message, looking at the unseen in Jeffersonville. And he describes it very well, and and we could bring it right into our present time of the hour that we're living in. And he says, Moses, when he was had become 40 years old, a young man, and as far as sight was concerned, Moses had the world in his hand. We can apply that in so many ways. A young man or a young woman, uh, a graduate, a, uh, uh, a young adult, maybe a young couple, having the world, uh, potentials, all laying right there, had the world in his hand. He was the next pharaoh of Egypt, and he had all the lands in the world right in his hand to be king over the entire earth, knowing of that day. And yet he looked through the window that Pharaoh looked out of, and he saw those Hebrews. Then he says, to Pharaoh, so now you might say, to the government, who looked upon them, they were nothing but a bunch of mud daubers. Now, this is speaking about Israel, the elect in that day, but I want to think about the elect in this day who I'm preaching to. And what the government might think of you. And he says, they were nothing but a bunch of mud daubers down there in mud making brick. Then he said to the celebrity, as they passed by, they were the same. So when, when the celebrity of the age, the big famous ones of the age would pass by the Hebrews, they didn't think nothing of them, just mud daubers. Nobody to be really uh, accounted as much. Then he says, the well-dressed people, that was a bunch of slaves, nothing but mud wallowers. So he says, even those that could afford the fashion of the age, that could afford to be well-dressed and expensive clothes and that sort of thing, he says, the elect look like just a bunch of mud wallowers. But when Moses looked out the same window, he saw them different. Because he looked at the unseen. Or I'll say this morning, he looked and saw what others could not see. Alright? And know that God had, that God promised that he would deliver them out of that place and take them to the land of promise. He saw the years that were coming ahead. Think about this now. What about our age? Moses saw the years that were coming ahead. He saw Egypt destroyed. Yet she was in her blossoming time. The present time she was doing good. But Moses saw a destroyed nation. He said he saw Egypt 
as she is today. And what is Egypt today? Nothing but a very poverty-stricken country of, of poor people. Not really much in the nations of the world. It says, and he saw Israel all comfortably seated around Abraham in glory. And by faith he chose to take the worst the religion could give him and compare it with the best the world could give him. And he chose to suffer the reproach of Christ. Think about that statement. He says he looked at the worst of what religion, what God in the Hebrews could do for him, and compared it to the best that the world could give him, which he had access to. And he says, do I want the best this world has, or do I want the worst that is in this religion? I'll take this. I willingly choose this. Amen. Are you there today? He says... He says he considered it a greater treasure than all Egypt could afford to give him because he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He looked at the mud daubers and he saw God. He looked at the off scouring of the world and he saw God. He saw the eternal one. He saw the invisible one. And I want to specifically speak of Moses. And I, I maybe have to lay a bit of a foundation here. Mindful of the time. And, and, and Moses, because Moses in particular had a part. And we, we can so zero in on Moses' life because it's written about. But he had a predestinated part because he was a predestinated attribute of God to play a particular function in the economy of God, if I can say it that way, there was nobody else could take his place. Just like there's nobody else can take your place. All right. Every son and daughter of God has a particular place. So as we speak about Moses, I want you to think about yourself. I want you to understand that this, these scriptures in the Old Testament, these lives are written about as a prophecy of greater things that were to come. And we're living in the hour of the fulfillment of all things. We're living in the fullness of time. We're living in the end time. What's the end time, Brother Tim? The end time is the time after the opening of the seals. We've been in the end time since 1965. Well, how can the end time go on so long? We don't know when the end time will end. But we know we're in the end time. And there's many things that are spoken about, about the end time that are unfolding around us. But the greatest thing that is unfolding, just like it was back there in Egypt, the greatest thing that was unfolding was a man beginning to recognize who he was. Because as he began to recognize who he was, that would release the powers of God to take the children of Israel from a state of captivity to a state of possessing the land. So Moses, we could highlight his life here. And I say this for a reason, which you'll see later. Moses, as a child... A goodly child born hidden in the bulrushes in a basket in the Nile River. We know the story. It was an event in his life, no doubt rehearsed by his mother to him. Moses, as a man, 
a young man referred to, willing to forsake the flesh desires. And that's not just talking immorality and those kind of things. The natural desires of a human being is what it's speaking of. And to forsake that and rather to express what was inside of him. All right, hold that in your thoughts. Moses at 80 years old meeting God on the backside of the desert as he saw a bush that was on fire and was not consumed. And he went to there and there's where he met God. And then I'll mention one other place and that is Moses coming down from the mountain with the word of God tabernacled in him. Needing to be veiled, which was a metaphor in that time for as Paul expressed and Jesus expressed that a veil would come on Israel and that they would not be able to see God and the word in Moses day needed to be veiled in Jesus day Israel was veiled and in this day there's been another veiling and another unveiling all right and so we see now Moses coming down from the mountain needing to be veiled because the word was in him and his face shone and the and the people were unable to receive all the implications of it and and Paul takes it and says which veil remains on their heart to this day as a nation of Israel but what is he meaning by that because it's not a man with a shining face that has the word inside of it but rather the Israel is veiled to their position in God they don't recognize who they are they don't recognize the purpose for which they came they became scared of the very thing that was for their benefit when Moses came down from the mountain with the word inside of them they ought to have rejoiced the word is in a man his face is shining God has visited us this is the great move of God in our day but they couldn't receive it in that day and so was it in Jesus day when they ought to have rejoiced that the word once again had come into their midst now the fullness of God had become tabernacled in flesh in Jesus Christ again they were scared of it this man is going to destroy everything we've built this man is going to turn the people against us he's going to he's going to ruin all of the, all that we've labored for all that we've organized all that we've done and it ought to be destroyed But yet they were scared of it. In other words, there was a veil. They couldn't really see what the purpose of it was, that he had come, that God would unite with Israel, but they would not have it. They were missing their purpose and their calling because of a veil. And they were scared of it rather than embracing it. Now, Let me take a turn here. Brother Branham says, he says, we we come from a higher being. Is in Hebrews, questions and answers, part three. We come from a higher being. In the beginning, we were in the image of God. The veil and the darkness keeps us from knowing it now. And he goes into several different aspects of it. We're living in a time, though, that 
I'm just trying to be concise here. That we realize as a, as the church, if you've really come into the light of the hour, you realize that the light of the hour has come for a purpose to show us things that the church previously had never seen, but was laying in the word all the time, though previously hidden. Now what those things were, were not medical, metaphysical things of, of great uh, mysteries out there in the universe. No, it's the mystery that lays inside of you. It's the attribute that lays within the believer that the word came to reveal more than God could reveal to Luther. More than God could reveal to Wesley. More than God could reveal even through the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, or we call it to Pentecostals. And so uh, more than all of that, the word came in the days of the voice of the seventh angel. All the mystery of God would be finished. And a great part of that mystery is who you are in him. All right. But so Brother Bradham says there's a veil and darkness that keeps us from knowing it. The veil and there is a veil and that veil is your own flesh. And I want to get into that here just for a few moments. Now, in the, now in the hour that we're living in, the word has come like to, like Isaiah said in chapter 60, he says, arise, shine, your light has come. So if he's saying arise and shine, it's speaking to people that previously had not arisen and had not shone. All right. So the light has come to cause a people to arise. In other words, to have a resurrection or to have a quickening within themselves and to shine in a way that had not previously been shone. Because it says your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. It says, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Then we know this is Brother Branham's message in the message Shalom, his scripture. He says, darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people. Now, Brother Branham says, it's darkness that stops you from seeing the realities of these eternal things. All right. So it's your veil and the darkness of the age that is laying there trying to keep you from understanding who you are. All right. John chapter one says in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. And the the word comprehend, I'm sure it's been preached on here before, but the word comprehend means to lay a hold of, means to appropriate it. It doesn't just mean to understand, but it means to get the benefit from it, to receive the benefit of it. Darkness does not receive the benefit of the light that shines in the midst of darkness. Darkness flees in the presence of that light. So this light did not come to illuminate the darkness, but it came to illuminate those who were in darkness. Amen. And drive the darkness back from our life and cause us to see what we had not seen before because of the veil and because of the darkness. All right. Jesus says in John 12, he says, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, 
lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. Now there's a statement. Powerful statement. He says, there's light here right now. And you better get a hold of it lest you be found to be in darkness. Because if you're in darkness, you don't have a clue what's going on. And you can say that about the news media. You can say that about the social media. You can say that about everything that's popular in this age. You can say that about science. You can say that about medical science. You can say that about all kinds of things who are walking in darkness. They really don't have a clue what's going on. I'll give you an example. Simple example. Right now there's a great uproar of the environmentalists that says... Stop using plastic bags. You ever heard that? All right. Now, it wasn't so long ago when I was younger that the same environmentalists said, stop using paper bags because it's killing trees and start using plastic. How many were here when that happened? All right, the grocery stores got rid of the paper bags. Everybody got rid of the paper bags. Now all of a sudden they realize what a mess we've made. Now the world is full of plastic and now they want us to believe them now. Do what we say now and it'll all be okay. No, it won't be okay. They're walking in darkness. They're trying to figure it out. Oh, well, get rid of the paper bags. No, don't get rid of the paper. Get rid of the plastic bags. Well, get rid of this. Get rid of that. They don't have a clue what's happening. I'll tell you what's happening. The end of the world has come. We're living in the end time. And they're walking in darkness. Now, let me just continue to lay this foundation here. In Brother Branham's meetings, Brother Branham... um, being a prophet could see things that the average person could not see. All right. And he could, he could recognize and say things like, it's full of light in here. Or it's all milky. Or, or that. But in the, in the same meetings, he could say, now that person is shadowed to death. That person has a shadow over them. All right. Let me read you a couple places here. He says, sometimes I see it turn dark around the people. Says that's death. I just don't say nothing and go ahead. Notice a prophet never said everything he knew. That's why even people that maybe dream dreams or see visions or whatever more, you have to be careful what you say. Because it's one thing for God to show you something, it's another thing to have permission to say it. And that's, you know, even people can get messed up. And Brother Brown talks about that. That's not our subject today. I just throw that in there because he says, I don't even say nothing. I know the person's going to die. They're shadowed to death. But he says, I I don't know. Sometimes he would say something. Right. And sometimes it would come out. But you have to walk with the understanding of God. He says, but when I see the procession, I know it's over. He says in another place, he says to a specific person, now he tells them, it's turning dark around you, sir. You're in a dying condition. You've got cancer and the cancer's in the prostrate gland. Here's another thing. I see you walking through the house, moving your neck. You got a popping in your neck goes wrong. That's a phobia. In other words, a phobia. All right. He says, oh, God, 
In Jesus Christ's name, I condemn death around my brother and ask that life take its place. In him was life and the life was the light of man. All right. Remember the boy in Memphis, how that there was a woman that had a son in the city of Memphis and she was calling out to God for her son that was dying from a social disease and and he was laying on the bed he'd become delirious and she began to call out to God and just at that time brother Branham's plane was flying over Memphis and the, a storm came in and the plane had to suddenly land or or crash and so they landed in the city of Memphis and and so the next day you know the story brother Branham went walking and God just led him down certain streets and and finally he came by this woman and she was standing by the gate and and uh, very very early in the morning and she said good morning parson and Brother Branham knew this was now the issue. And so he, he, to make a long story short, he went into the house, heard the case. The boy was laying in the bed. And all he could think about in that bed was, it's dark out here. Mama, where are you? It's dark out here. It's like, she says it's like he's out in the water rowing a boat. He, he's in great delirium, but he's, he's in a terrible state. He doesn't know where he is. He's out on the water. It's dark. He doesn't know which direction to shore, to, to shore, to come to shore. And he's, he's out there totally lost. And Brother Brown says, well, all I know is we can pray. And he let her pray first. And then he prayed just a very simple prayer. And before he left the house, the boy says, it's getting light in here. Hallelujah. It's getting light. Light had come to darkness. And the boy's life, which was consumed in darkness, death had surrounded him and he didn't know what was going to happen. But he had been, now the word had come to release him from the darkness. And if you know the end of the story, a, a little while later, next year or year after, I don't remember, Brother Ernie, but the, Brother Brad was going through on a train through Memphis, and, and one of the boys at the station run up to Brother Branham and said, you know, Reverend Branham, Reverend Branham, and, and, and he, he says, you don't recognize me, do you? And Brother Branham says, no, I don't. He says, he says, I was that boy you prayed for on that bed. He says, and I've, I've healed, and I've given my life to Jesus. Hallelujah. Light came to that darkness. It's not just sickness, it's also sin. Because we know the wages of sin is death. Brother Branham would have people in the prayer lines and immediately know, oh, you're a believer. Say things like uh, in uh, Chicago, he says, you're a Christian. He says, if it wasn't, your spirit would be moving back, being dark around you. But it turns light. You are a believer. Your spirit is welcomed by the spirit that's anointing me. Now, just a minute here. There's things taking place. Light, darkness, spirit of the man, spirit of Christ, anointing a prophet, all of that's taking place. There's, there's reactions in a spiritual realm of light and darkness. He says, if you weren't a believer, he says, when this light came, your spirit would pull back. 
He says, but because you're a believer, when this light shines, your spirit draws close to this light. You see, that's the way it is when the word comes to the believer. It's light. Like to the woman at the well, it's light that comes. And when that light comes, if it's, if there isn't light in that person, if there isn't a predestination to it, if there isn't a deep calling to the deep, there's something in that individual that desires it, they draw back. Oh, what do you mean? It wasn't an apple in the garden. Oh, what do you mean? Trinity, there's no such thing as a trinity. Oh, what do you mean? You know, but if it's a, a predestinated seed of God, when it sees that light, it's in the spiritual realm now. But when that seed sees that light, it comes to the light. Because he that is of the light comes to the light. That the light might make manifest that there's a seed in there that has a predestinated purpose in life. And it's only the word that can bring out that predestinated purpose and express it in an individual. That's why why we preach the word. I'll maybe come to that in a little bit. Another place he says, the ulcer of the stomach still bothers the woman. And that's thus saith the Lord. She has a nervous condition that's causing it. The woman, when she was younger, I see her as a young woman or a middle-aged woman, goes into a time of life like ladies go through, the change of life. And she becomes nervous. And she's been bothered ever since. And then Brother Brown says, that is thus saith the Holy Spirit. He says, you know there's something here anointing me as your brother, knowing your life. He says, do you accept him now? Then in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I condemn the disease of this woman's body and pass her on for a healthy life in the in Jesus Christ's name. Now he says this. He says, "Go ha- go rejoicing, happy." Why do you have to tell her that? <laughs> you ever think about that? Why do you have to tell her that? He says, "Have the right attitude." Now go from this place with the right attitude. Don't go questioning, wondering. I wonder what that meant. I wonder what that was all about. No, go go rejoicing. Go happy, he says. He says, now look, sister, I seldom say this to people, but before I prayed, it was real dark around you. Something that was on you was going to kill you. I don't know what it was, but now it's gone. It's real light around you. Amen. Maybe if Brother Glenn, if you were there for your sister and you could see into that spiritual realm, maybe you would have seen that. A darkness tried to come and take her life, but it became light around her. Amen. It wasn't her time to go. God wasn't done yet, but death will try and take you. Brother Branham says that uh, a sickness will try and grab you. And I'm doing this from memory, but he says a trickness, a sickness will try and grab you. Death will try and take you. He says, but the angel of the Lord stands between you and death. But then he says this, but you can run around the angel if you want to. Oh my. Yeah, you can accept death if you really want to. That's trying to come on you. You can accept that cancer. You can accept that disease. You can accept that trouble. But you don't have to because the angel of the Lord stands between you and death. 
the light stands between you and darkness. When Israel came to the Red Sea, the angel of the Lord leading them, the light leading them. Then the light went around behind them at the Red Sea and stood behind them. To Israel it was light, but to Egypt it was darkness. And they couldn't operate in the darkness. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to operate. They didn't know where to go. But to Israel it was light. You are called to walk in the light. You are called to be quickened by the light. You are called to be a part of the light. In the message, Hebrews chapter 6 and 7, Brother Branham says, he says, the veil is the flesh. The veil is what keeps us from seeing God face to face in this church. Hello? Right now, He's here. The only thing that stops you is your flesh. You're born in sin. And because you're born in sin and you have a a sinful or a fleshly carnal body, the only thing your eyes will allow you to see is what's in this dimension. But there's another dimension. And there's, God is here. The presence of God is here. The angels are here. But you're stopped from seeing it because of a veil. You can't see through this veil. You see, well, Brother Tim, I see with my eyes. But it's actually a veil that only lets you see a dimension. There's another dimension here. Brother Branham describes it. He says, this veil keeps us, is what keeps us from seeing the angels at their positions this morning. Standing by the seats. The veil is what keeps us from seeing Him. We're hid behind the veil. That veil is the flesh. We are sons and daughters of God. We're in the presence of God. Amen. He says, but the veil is the flesh, and that's what keeps us out of His presence. But through the soul, the spirit, by our faith, we know that He's watching us. We know He's standing by us. He's here now. Amen. That's what we have to realize. Listen, if you could see what's actually here this morning, you would fall on your face. You would fall in terror. Like Isaiah did in the book of Isaiah. You would say, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, let me tell you something, even unbelievers, you unbelievers that are here this morning, I don't know who you are, but if you're an unbeliever here this morning and the, and God opened your eyes and you could see the presence of God and the angels of God that was here, you would fall on your face. I was, I was listening to a psychologist speak not too long ago and, you know, because I, I noticed the question that he was speaking about. And the question was, do you believe in God and why I hate that question? I thought, oh, that ought to be interesting. And it was a man that's actually very sincere, but he doesn't know God. And he says, he says, people would ask me, do I believe in God? He says, because he would speak about things as though it seemed like he believed in God. He says, but I actually don't like the question. But then he says, I begin to think, Why don't I like the question? What bothers me about that question? And he began to think about it very deeply as his mind was given to do. And he says, I realize the reason that I don't like the question is because if a person believes in God, they would act like they believed in God. 
It's just that simple. There's lots of people that say they believe in God. Or you, you, you go to work and you meet people. Well, you believe in God? You believe there's a God? Yeah, I believe there's a God. Well, the next question ought to be, oh, why don't you live like it? Well, that's too evangelistic maybe, Brother Tom. <laughs> I've said that to many people. I, I had a fellow one time, I was telling somebody the other day, I had a fellow one time, you know, heard that I was a preacher. This was way back in Dawson Creek, Brother Ed, and drove up to the office I was working in, and he had his girlfriend in the seat beside him, and he, just a young man, worldly young man, and, and uh, he said to me, he said, oh, Tim, he says, I'm glad to see. He says, I just heard yesterday. He says, I heard you were a preacher. And I said, well, I guess that's what they call me. I'm a minister. And, and he says, well, that's wonderful. He says, cause I'm born again. And I just, it just came out of my mouth without me even thinking about it. I said, no, you're not. <laughs> and he was shocked. <laughs> And he says, what do you mean I'm not born again? I says, listen, if you were born again, you wouldn't live the way you live. You wouldn't act the way you act. I says, when you're born again, you're transformed. You live the way the word says a believer lives. It's just that simple. It's a transforming experience. You can debate the theologies and the terminologies of it all you want. You can debate justification, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost all you want. You can debate adoption all you want. You can talk about everything that you want to talk about. But the end of it all is when you're born again, it produces a life. And that we can all agree on as believers. Amen. Every, one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he, that Jesus is Lord. Brother Brown says, the veil is what keeps us from living the way we should. The veil is what keeps us from doing the things we really want to do. He says, he says, at the coming of the Lord Jesus, the veil will be raised up again in a perfected way. So I'll walk and talk with him as my Savior and my God. When he takes the throne of David and will live forever in this veil after it's been perfected. But this veil right now has sin in it. And so notice what he's saying now. He's saying it's because of this sinful veil that actually we don't live like we ought to many times. We don't do what we ought to do or we, 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 uh, do what we ought not to do because of this. In other words, we make mistakes because of this veil. We don't see things the way that we ought to see and into the dimensions that we ought to look into. But Christ was in the veil and could see. Are you still with me? All right. I want to go just a little bit further in this thought of the veil. Christ was in that veil, in the veil of the flesh. It wasn't sinful flesh. He was born without sin. And that's why he didn't need to be born again. It was because he was born right the first time. He was the spoken word seed of God. But I can also say that prophets are in the veil of the flesh, but they're made to see things. All right. People think that prophets are just people that see visions. That's not the way it is. All right. 
even though the word vision denotes seeing, but a prophet is not one who sees a vision, but a prophet is one that vision is a way of life. It's part of his makeup. The conscience and the subconscious and the way that they're built, it's the way of their life. You can't make somebody that way and you can't unmake somebody when they are that way. Alright, now the Bible says in the last days, the, the old men will dream dreams and the young men will see visions. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the makeup of a man that sees into another realm as a part of his life and, and they are seers. They're able to see things that most of us will never see because it's a gift given of God to be attached to spiritual dimensions. All right, the best way to explain it is to go to the Bible and how that Elisha became acquainted with the gift that was in him under Elijah. But yet after Elijah left the scene, then a double portion of the anointing came on Elisha. So it's not just a gift, but it's an office. Alright, and so, uh, now I don't want to say prophet's an office just because you're a prophet. You can be a prophet and never have an office. Alright, I don't want to get into gifts and callings. That's a whole nother service. But Elisha now, under that anointing, he's in a city. I think it's Dotham. And uh, he's in this city, but he's sending messages to the king of Israel, saying, you know, don't go this direction because the Syrians have an ambush for you. And then a little while, don't go that direction because the Syrians have an ambush for you. And the, and the Syrians are like, what is going on? You know, we knew he was coming, and then he doesn't show up. And so our ambush becomes of no effect. And this has happened several times. Who amongst us is a spy? And someone that knew something with the Syrian king said, oh, it's not a spy. They have a prophet. And that's what the problem is. They got Elisha over there. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, when you got the prophet of God, you're living in a higher realm. And so there he was, uh, Elisha was in the city of Dotham because they found out he was there. The Syrian army crept in in the middle of the night. And don't think that Elisha didn't know. I'm sure he knew. But there they were surrounding the city and Gehazi gets up in the morning. Now Gehazi's not a prophet. He's just a servant. And so he's, he's like a minister. That's not gifted that way. He's like someone that doesn't have be able to see everything, but he believes the message. All right, uh, and and so he's he's going up to the walls of the city, and oh, this is a great view here from Dothan, and let's look out over the city, and we got trouble. We got real problems. And he runs back down, excuse me just for making a story out of it, but you know, he runs back down into the, into this house where, where Elisha is. He says, Elisha, Elisha, wake up, wake up, wake up. You know, it's, we got troubles. And, 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 uh, Elisha says, well, what's the problem? He says, the city is surrounded with the Syrian army and they're probably here for us. We need to do something. Now I want you to notice something in this story. Gehazi, doesn't know what to do. But he knows Elisha will know what to do. Alright. Number one, stay with the message. Stay with the messenger. So now as he's noticing Elisha will know what to do, but he doesn't know what to do, he's thinking in his mind, we have to do something. That's the natural man's mind. 
That's the veil. The veil will, will let you do something that doesn't need to be done. What should we do? Should we hide? What should we? Should we surrender? Should we uh, demand terms of surrender? You know, what should we do? Are they going to kill us? How is it all going to happen? You know, what are things? How are things going to transpire? Maybe he's already had several plans going through his mind. I got to save the prophet of God because, you know, if I don't do something, I'm his servant and I got to save him. This is the prophet for Israel. We got to get out of here. and We got to find a way out and maybe go hide in the well or something like that. We got to do something drastic. That's the way your flesh operates. Inside of you is a predestinated eternal attribute. But the flesh is trying to tell you to do something that you don't need to do. Because God's in control. If you can see that God's in control. And there was Elijah just says, Lord, open this young man's eyes. In other words, let him see the reality of the situation by looking into another dimension. And as as God opened Gehazi's eyes, all of a sudden he could see all around the city was not just the Assyrian army, but were the armies of God. Angels of fire, chariots of fire, the mighty power of God was all around them. I can just imagine Gehazi's like all of us. Oh, well, we don't have to do nothing, do we? Praise the Lord. Yeah, he could, he could be real tough now. Now that he saw what Elisha saw all the time. But he, he suddenly recognized there's more to it than just what the natural eye is seeing. Jesus would often quote Isaiah. And one time, as he referred to Isaiah 6, and Isaiah 6 is where Isaiah is caught up into the presence of the Lord in a vision. And and the, the voice of the Lord says, Who shall I send and who will go for us? And Elisha says, Then said I, or not Elisha, Isaiah says... Uh, here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. Listen now. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. My, now I'm going to preach the word in such a way, or Isaiah, I'm going to anoint you to preach the word in such a way that it's going to blind the people. So not even the preaching of the word was going to help them. Why? Because they had not received the message when it was sent to them. They had not received the truth for their day. And Jesus uses the same scripture of being able to see in Matthew chapter 13. And he says of the people in his day, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. That says, by hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For these people's hearts is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and be converted and I should heal them. So he's directly quoting that scripture. 
But then he says to the disciples, but blessed are your eyes. They weren't necessarily seeing into other dimensions, but when the word was coming forth, they were recognizing this only is the word of eternal life. There was something in them that was catching the anointed word for their hour that others could not catch, but were totally blinded to it. Read the same scriptures? Absolutely. Uh, Be quoting the same prophets? Absolutely. Be looking at it exactly with the same set of eyes. There was no difference in their natural eyes. There was no difference in their natural intellect. There was no difference in the natural realm. They both had veils. They both lived in veils. But God said, blessed are your eyes for they see. Blessed are your ears for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men is desired to see the things that you see and have not seen them and hear the things that you hear and have not heard them oh listen saints that's the way it was back when Isaiah was that's the way it was when Jesus was and that's the way it is today that the hearts of the people of this generation have waxed dull their ears are hard of hearing their eyes cannot see they cannot understand why it's not that their eyes are any worse off than mine naturally speaking they might be better off than mine there might be lots of situations that they could see better or understand better or be educated better but there's something about it when a predestinated seed of God sees the light of the hour There's something in them that says, this is it. I remember Brother Biscoe saying many times, and I never looked again. I was never searching again. You know, people want to say, oh, go this way, go that way. You know what? I was talking to some young people not too long ago, you know, how witnessing to people and people that say, you know, how that, you know, well, you people make it sound like you're the only ones that, that believe. You people make it sound like you're the only ones that have truth. And I, and they said, what do you do with that? I said, well, I just turn it around to them and I just say, listen. I says, if I believe what I believe is the truth, then you can be sure I will be trying to share it with you. Otherwise, I don't believe it's the truth. And furthermore, if you believe what you believe is the truth, you ought to be traveling the world and trying to find people that will believe what you believe. And the obvious answer is, you don't really believe what you believe is the truth. Because you'd be doing what we're doing, and that's trying to get the message to every predestinated seed. Why are we doing that? To make them adhere to Cloverdale Bible Way? No. To make them adhere to Jeffersonville? No. To make them adhere to Brother Branham? No. We're trying to do that because it's the light of the hour. I'm getting close to my subject here. Brother Branham says in Hebrews once again, he says, Melchizedek was Jehovah God. The same one that met Abraham years later in front of his tent. Had his back turned to him. And he said, why did Sarah laugh? That's right. He was the one who stood there looking out over towards Sodom. Abraham recognized him. Listen now. Because inside of his veil was an anchor holding that promise. Not because he had some sensation. But God made him the promise. 
And when he come into contact with that great magnet, he knew it was in that flesh. Hallelujah. When Moses looked down at a people that everybody else called mud daubers and not worth thinking about, when Moses looked at them, there was a magnet there. It says, in those people is God. There's something in them I can't understand, but I would rather suffer with them than to enjoy everything that Egypt has to offer. I wonder how many predestinated Moseses we have this morning. I wonder how many young men that in their own lives, I'm not asking you to stand, but I'm just saying that would stand for God. And say, I'm willing to take the way with the Lord's despised few. And suffer in this world because I'm better off than the best that the world has to offer. I wonder how many young ladies that have been through graduation, whether this year or another year, are going through it. Beautiful young women. Somebody in the world would love to entice and take you where your beauty should never go. That was intended for one man, and that's your husband. And I would love to uh, just demoralize you. I don't even want to talk about it. But would take you and tear it down and make you nothing but a, a perverted life. For the benefit of some perverts out there. And they would entice you and say, oh, you're so beautiful. Oh, you're so pretty. Why are you so quiet about That's the age we're living in. Oh, you just need your picture taken. Oh, take another selfie. Oh, now it's getting real quiet. Oh, just, you know, you need to have an Instagram account. And and spread your beauty all over the world. You need to let everybody know how beautiful you are. Oh, it's really getting quiet. Uh, let me talk to the stones because even the stones will cry out. <laughs> Say, oh, you know, what you need is a Facebook account. That might be blase now. It might be history. I don't know. What you need is some social media that will just tell the world how great you are. And your trip over in this direction and your event over there and you made pasta for your family today and whatever more. And Oh, you really need to tell the world because you're such a great person. It's a lie of the devil. Cursed be social media. Cursed be social media. I got a call last week, a couple weeks ago from somebody, not from this church, somewhere else. Called me, we were talking about other things and, and said, how's this person doing in your church? I said, I don't know, I think they're doing fine. Why do you ask? I said, well, my wife saw something on social media. I don't even say what type of social media. I might get it wrong anyway. And that person didn't look like they were doing that well. My initial reaction was to that person, that man, cursed be social media. I said, everybody goes through rough times in their life. Hello? The devil wants to devour each and every one of you. He wants to swallow you up. He wants to take you and chew you up and spit you out. And he wants to glory in it to the world. 
I chewed them up. I spit them out. Look what I did. They claim to believe that message. But look what I did in their life. And they want you to post it all over social media. And I was talking to some young people about it. Same group of young people. The other question came up. And uh, I said, you know, because immediately the reaction comes, well, I only have social media for this reason. I don't really spend much time on it. Oh, it's quiet in here. And I said, well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever in your life seen something on social media that made you think less of somebody else? Not even what you post about yourself or anything. Anything at ever that made you think less of somebody else or made you think, you know what? I think I'm going to just withdraw from that person because, you know, I can see they're going in the wrong direction. And maybe they are. And they, they all had to admit, yeah, that's true. I said, so what you're saying is social media made you behave in an unchristian-like manner. Right. Amen? Amen? All right, that's another one. I'm, I'm here now. I might as well drop all my bombs. Brother Dioka is going to be here next week. It'll be wonderful. And I said, you know, I was talking to another brother. And I asked him, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, before you were saved, were you ever at a party where people were drinking? And he said, yeah. yeah. I said, when people drink, do they say things that they wouldn't say without alcohol? Oh, yeah. He says, all the time. I said, yeah, I thought so. So I didn't spend much of my life hardly ever at places where people drink. I don't take my family to those kind of gatherings. I don't, you know, do that kind of stuff. And so I said, so I know that when people text, when people are on social media, they say things they would never say to your face. I'm just going to nail this down this morning. I said, therefore, it's a demon. Just like alcohol is a demon. It's a demon that will get on somebody and they'll post something that they wouldn't say to your face or my face. Or maybe they'll send a text. Then then they just say they'll send a text and then just kind of hide from it. And just back away from it. I'll tell you what, folks, you're dealing with devils. That are trying to keep you veiled from who you really are. I want to be magnetized to the word of God. You decide for yourself. What bothers you? What's your stumbling block? What anoints your veil to walk in darkness? What allows you to do things that maybe as a Christian you ought not to do? Appreciated Brother Biscoe talking about his wife and I think the pastor or brother saying, you know, should a young Christian woman be in a place like that? How many times do we ask ourselves that question? It's all right. The, the squeaky part of the service is just about over. 
But Moses chose to suffer the reproach of Christ rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. All right. And, and I'll, the word for a season is actually a seldom used word in the Bible. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're getting close to where we can find the ending here. Actually, we're not that close, but we'll, we'll actually find an ending somewhere. Praise the Lord. Are you still with me? Amen. Amen. All the people that left social media have left now, and so we're, we're all together. Praise the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter four. Verse 6, for God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Can you say amen to that? You have a treasure, but it's hidden in an earthen vessel. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which are alive, for we which live rather, are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. I want you to notice that mortal, carnal, temporal, it's all very similar. Jump to verse 16 with me. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let me read that again. For our light affliction, the things that you choose to allow to afflict you in the flesh... They're not things that are just painful. They're things that you deprive yourself of, though the rest of the age is partaking of it. That's what Moses did. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater than the popular trends of his age. Are you with me? For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not... At the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are for a season. That's the same word. The things which are seen are for a season. Moses chose to not enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The things which are seen are for a season or temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. Amen. May God open our eyes to the things which are not seen. May he allow us to see God wherever God is. Amen. May he cause us to rejoice in the right things. 
may may even our rejoicing be not for a season. You know rejoicing can be for a season. Jesus said so in the parable of the sower. He said, and some seed fell among stony ground and immediately sprung up and rejoiced. Let me just read it directly. He says, he says, he that received the seed into stony places is the same that hears the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he has no root in himself, but endureth for a season or endureth for a while or is his experience in the word is only temporary or temporal. And so he come to the light of the hour for the benefit that he could get out of it in an earthly realm. But he has no root in himself. In other words, he's not grounded in the word of God. Amen. We can rejoice in what we hear and we ought to rejoice. All right. But the key is that even joy without getting grounded in the word is only for a season. Oh, got quiet again. I thought you'd be rejoicing with me. Praise the Lord. Get me grounded in the word, Lord. Let me get into the word. Let the word be powerful. Not just rejoicing for a season. Not just, I don't just want to hear the preacher up there telling me, I'm bride. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's wonderful. Oh, you got all the promises. That's true. But there's much more than that. There's a depth of the word that God wants to take you and root you and ground you in the eternal things. That your rejoicing be not temporary, but that you could enter into, even as Brother Branham says, this great joy that the world doesn't understand what we're rejoicing about. Hallelujah. We have much to rejoice about. Literally, for a season. Uh, I found it interesting reading it in a dictionary. This is just an extra for you. He says, it's temporary. He said, in other words, the rejoicing is temporary, thus bringing out the quality of the hearer. It says, he is a creature of circumstances, changing as they change. In other words, he's only seeing the things that are seen, not the things that are unseen. All right, let me take a little road trip down the road here and I'll try and be close. As fast as I can, if you help me. Are you still with me? Is this doing you any good? All right. As human beings, we hide in our flesh. But we can't hide from God. Our flesh takes us this direction. Our desires in the flesh... Take us a certain direction. But the seed cannot hide from God. Sometimes we are, we even are imprisoned in our own flesh, in our own complexes and scars. Things that happen to us in our flesh that have no bearing on the eternal attribute. But because of things that we're experiencing, I'm not going to go into details. Brother Brandon dealt with it in many, many, excuse me, many, many places of complexes and scars that come on people because of things that they've been through in the natural realm that really have no bearing on who you are. And that actually God wants to release you from. 
I'll say sometimes we hide in our carnal ambitions of our careers and our education and things that we've been influenced from wherever into being. I appreciate some of the graduates, a couple of the graduates, as they were expressing, where would you be in 10 years? Some of them actually said, well, if God be willing. Or, I want to be wherever the will of God takes me. I thought, my, there's some real insight for a graduate. You know, that's real insight. But we, we get into our carnal ambitions, our fleshly ambitions. Say, what do you mean by the time? Well, well, maybe we're good at sports. And that'll take us a certain direction. Are you with me? Yeah. Or maybe we're good at a certain, uh, a certain something in our life and, and we, our, our natural ability will take us a certain direction and that in itself might not be wrong, but have you sought God? Have you found out what the inside of the inside is all about? You see, Moses, by his own expression of his desire, even to be what God wanted him to be, or God made him to be, which was to be a deliverer in Egypt, tried to do it by his own understanding. And as he tried to do it by his own understanding, it all it led, as Brother Bradham said, one dead, stinking Egyptian. That's all it produced was just a, a bunch of death because he didn't do it by divine inspiration. He didn't do it by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And so we have this veil that we hide in. And we don't even understand sometimes that God is actually setting us up in our lives. And this is the part actually that comes directly out of the service last week. We sometimes don't even understand that what God is doing in your life is bringing you to that ultimate meeting with God. God has a place like Moses. That he wants to meet you, not literally on the backside of the desert, but in a place that will change the trajectory of your life and you will never waver from that. You will find out what God's attribute is in your life. And you will know what his purpose is for you. But in the meantime, it's not just uh, wallowing around. Every service we come to is potentially someone's meeting with God. That's why we preach. That's why we labor. That's why we spend hours in prayer as ministers. That's why we're saying, oh God, get me out of the way and take the word to somebody. Because this could be their burning bush experience. It could just be a sentence. It could just be something that is spoken that changes a life and says, that anchors it for me. That's it. It's a finished work now. We come to meet with God. Oh, I got to go there now. I got to go right into this. Because you can see it from, go watch last week's service if you didn't. But when God began to deal with our pastor, hope you don't mind if I quote him. But it, when he was talking about this, I was, it was like I was zeroing into another dimension. And I'm not me, but I mean, I was just seeing something I hadn't seen before. And God asked him, where were you? Remember, he was talking about that. Where were you? I hope this is okay, brother. Ed. And they, even if it's not, I'm probably going to do it anyway. And, he, and God spoke to him and says, where were you? And he says, well, he says, and I'll quote him. This is quotation. Well, I was about 10 and I saw myself in the snow and cold. I was about 10. 
course, when he says that, those of us that have lived in the north know what that means. Those of you from Vancouver may not know what that means. He says, but where were you? He says, I was at mile 351 on the Alaska Highway. Now, in his thoughts, God's taking him somewhere. All right. But where were you? Third time. And then the picture all came to me. I saw that's where I was as a boy. Then I was 27, 17 years later. I'm with the prophet of God. And I saw that time meant nothing. When you said that, Brother Bisco, I saw that time meant nothing. He said, listen, I'm not trying to glorify a man here. I'm just saying this is our pastor who's anointed to an office, who's saying something of God dealing with him. Are you catching what God is saying? He's inspired to say something. Did you hear him preach last week? He preached for two hours and was as strong as the end as he was at the beginning. Where did that come from? That was God. He said, God's expressing something to us. I don't look at the man. God's expressing something to us. And he began to see time meant nothing. I was 10 here, lonely, not realizing that the things that he went through. And I can say this about him because he said some things about me. And I'm not saying it retaliatorily, but I'm just saying sometimes you have to say something about somebody. He maybe didn't understand at that time why he had to lose his mother. But maybe if he hadn't lost his mother, maybe they would have lived in a nice home in a nice town or on a nice farm. And he wouldn't been at mile 351 of the Alaska Highway. And he wouldn't have known that lonely experience of the wilderness. And been in a place to where he knew the area intimately so he could invite a prophet because God had determined. I'm going to meet you on the log with my prophet. I'm going to bring you to this place. Oh, it wasn't that he hadn't experienced God. It wasn't that he hadn't known God. But I'm going to bring you to a place that's going to change the trajectory of your life. And I'll never unchange it. And so as you see God now bring it into a place. And sometimes these are hardships that we don't realize why we have to go through them. But then all of a sudden God sends us a man at 84 years old who's looking back over his life. And God begins to speak to him and says, I took you there at 10. And I came there when you were 27. And I met you there with a prophet. And I spoke to you the mysteries of my word. And I changed your heart. And I transformed your life life because I had determined to meet with you he didn't know that at 10 years old he didn't know it at 15 years old he didn't know it about the trials he went through about finding his wife and all of those things he didn't know it about the different experiences but all of a sudden at the end of the life God's trying to tell you I have you here for a reason He can take someone like Brother Kyle. Sorry, Brother Kyle, I don't mean to call you out, but take him over to an island, wondering the purpose. What is the reason? Not that I'm saying he's wondering the purpose. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But he can find himself in a situation. Lord, what do you have in this? But God has a purpose in it. 
God's got you where he's got you for a reason. I look at someone like Brother Timothy sitting back there. Why did he come all the way from Congo or South Africa? Or many of you that came from Africa or some of you from India and different places. What's the reason? There's a reason. God has a reason because Moses was out there in the wilderness and Moses was hiding. He was a predestinated attribute of God, but he was hiding. Hiding in plain view, but he was hiding. And now he wasn't hiding physically, but he was hiding the attribute. He was, there's no plan B. God doesn't have plan B. God only has a plan for all eternity. God never thinks a new thought. God doesn't make mistakes. He knows the end from the beginning. There's nothing happening to you but what God knew all about it. To the young people, I say maybe you haven't come to the great meeting yet. Maybe you have. To some of you that are here, maybe you haven't come to that place like Moses had to come to. As he's out there, he had a life He's 80 years old now. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. And there, he's got a wife, children. I'm just going to settle down. Just be a dad. Kind of make a life for my family. And and just have, uh, express myself as best as I can. And this is all that I have for me. But you couldn't, you can't change what's on the inside. You can't change it. But really God allowed everything that Moses went through from a child to being raised in Pharaoh's home, to being driven out of the palace, out of Egypt, out into the wilderness, running away, being out there for 40 years, unlearning everything that he ever learned. And now he's come down to the place at 80 years old that he sees on the hillside, a bush. It's burning. Probably not an uncommon sight. But he sees that bush and looks back a little while later, it's still burning. Hmm. Looks back after a little while, that bush is still burning. That is an unusual bush. Most bushes burn out by now. But that bush is still burning. Bible says he saw a bush that was not consumed. And so he finally goes, decides, I'm going to go and see the sight of this bush that's burning and is not consumed. And so he goes up into the side of the mountain. And here's a voice he thought he'd never hear. Have you heard that voice? Do you know what that is? God speaks to his prophet. Moses, take off your shoes. The ground where you're standing is holy ground. What an experience. What a life-changing experience. All of a sudden, Moses realizes time means nothing. He thought he'd been down the road so far. But yet in the midst of it all, God knew all about it. And God had a plan. Brother Branham said he saw the glory of God. He'd seen a dry stick turn into a serpent and go back 
to a stick again. He saw a leper hand be healed by the power of God. He heard the voice of God speak to him. Nothing's going to stop him now. Excuse me for just saying one more comment about Brother Ed. And nothing stopped this man. I don't know all of the details of his life. I don't know all the experience of the ups and the downs that he went through. But I'll say nothing stopped him. After he had a meeting with God in his prophet out there on the log. We say, oh, it was just a meeting with a man that could discern the questions. No, it was more than that. Brother Branham said, he came to me and told me you had three questions. He came to me. It wasn't Brother Branham was interested in Brother Biscoe's questions. God was interested in Brother Biscoe's questions. He came to me and said you had three questions. And just begin to deal with them one by one by one. What was that? Was it an altar call? No. Was it, was it a shouting service? No. Was it a quiet service? No. It was just two men on a log. And the pillar of fire that had anointed a prophet. Because God said, I'm going to meet with this man. It's the same God that says, I'm going to meet with you. And I'm going to meet with you. And I'm going to meet with you. And you might be in the midst of your life. And you might wonder, what am I doing here? I'll tell you what you're doing here. God's got a meeting place for you. God's got a place that He wants you to be in so that He can come to you personally. Not in me, not in... Someone might say something, someone might do something, but it's God meeting with you. And that God meeting with you. Why do they have graduation banquets? Why do they have events like this afternoon for Sister Jenny? Why do, why do we do, uh, why do we have the school? Why do we have the camp? Why do we have this church building? Why do we have all of these things? Is it just to be a church? God forbid, we heard that last week. God forbid that we just become a church. God forbid that we just become a system. Because God's not interested in just setting up churches. He's interested in getting His message to His bride. Because He desires to have a meeting with her. And His purpose is to draw every predestinated seed into that meeting place. Hallelujah. We could go down the list and talk about uh, a brother Roshan in India. Didn't know he was just going to a denominational church. Went into his pastor's office, found some message books in a garbage can, took those message books home and had a meeting with God. Another time, many years later, I was in a meeting at another brother's place in India, and there, there, this brother had a young brother, and he was a he was a Sikh, or he, but he looked Catholic, or he talked Catholic. He looked Sikh, and he he'd been with the Hindus, and he was so confused in his mind, twelve years old. And I just told him, take some of these books, go and read them, and ask God, are they the truth? And ten years later, he's back standing before me saying, I'm now a preacher of this message. Why? Because he met God on the backside of the desert. For himself. For himself. We could go over to Africa. Talk about a Zephaniah Peters. Talk about a Stephen Abali. Talk about a Fred Chienji coming out of the Catholic Church with his brother being a bishop. 
and, and a bishop of the Catholic Church wanting him back and trying to get him to come back to the Catholic Church. But he can't go back. Why can't he go back? Because he met God. He had a meeting place. He didn't know why. But God had a purpose for him. And God brought that purpose into fulfillment. Sometimes his young brothers... I'm going to bring this to a close right away here. The musicians can come, actually. Sometimes as young brothers, young sisters, we feel even a call of God. We feel we want to do something for God. I'll just say, stay there till God himself opens the door. We don't push our own doors open. We don't do what we want to do. I was talking to Brother Tom in his office the other day. You can bear me witness. I was talking about going to a certain country. I said, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go, but it's a burden and I got to pray about it. And sometimes I hide in my own flesh and say, Lord, I'm not able to send somebody else. That's what Moses did. I'm not eloquent of speech. I'm not able to talk. I forgot everything I knew. Surely there's somebody else and God got angry with Moses because this was Moses's meeting with God and God says I've heard the cry of my people I have come down to deliver them and I'm sending you have you had your meeting with God if you haven't maybe this is your service brother Branham says it this way he says if you haven't received the Holy Ghost this morning if the first little tinkle would say that's the truth that man's telling the word, that's the truth, then hurry as quick as you can. Don't wait. What are you looking at? What are you waiting for? The hour is later than you think. Get moving towards it as fast as you can. When Elijah saw that move, it was the evidence of answered prayer. And he... He says, oh God, now he begins to pray. I wish that every sick person here this morning that feels the Holy Spirit in our presence could realize that's the evidence of a prayer that you've prayed has been answered in the presence of God. Hello, sick person. Do you realize the prayer that you've prayed has been answered in the presence of God? Don't let your flesh hold you in bondage. You're a predestinated son or daughter of God. These promises are yours. They're yea and amen. They will never fail. God will never fail. They are your promise. And God will deliver you. You just need to let the flesh know who's boss and say, get out of the way. Symptoms I won't accept. Circumstances I won't be bound by. I reject what my flesh is telling me. I'm going to accept what God has said in his word. He is my healer. He is the healer of all of my sicknesses and diseases. This flesh cannot hold back the promise of God. It says every man who's wants the baptism of the Holy Ghost... If you'd feel that little grand feeling saying, I believe that's the truth. If you, if you take that, that's the evidence of my answered prayer. He says, raise up your hands and say, God, I receive it now. Something would take place. Amen. Let's stand together. A song.
Draw me nearer. I am thine, O Lord. We're going to sing this song as a dedication. Let's let's bow our heads. I don't want anybody to feel self-conscious. Some people are. Some people don't like the camera on them, whatever more it might be. You're sitting in a service where there's cameras. Listen, ignore that. Ignore the person sitting next to you. Ignore everything else going on. But how many would want to say tonight, maybe you need the Holy Ghost and you want to just lift your hand to God and say, God, I hear you. I hear you, Lord. I've been hiding. I want you to take control of every part of my being. I want you to baptize me with the Holy Ghost and fire. I want you to fill me with your presence until all I know is you and the things of the world be nothing to me. Just raise your hand to him. Maybe you're sick tonight or today and you say, I'm battling this in my flesh, but I'm not going to let this flesh bind me. By faith, I'm going to raise my hand and I'm going to say, God, you're my healer. You're the one that I believe. I'm here to accept you at your promise. No matter what my flesh says, I say amen to the word of God. Heavenly Father, you see these hands that are raised. Lord, not for any other reason than because your word has spoke to them. To bring them, Lord, to that place. Like you spoke to Moses out of the pillar of fire in the bush. Said, Moses, take off your shoes. He said, Moses, I'm sending you down. I'm come to quicken that seed that's in you. You can't get away from it. Lord, you have quickened these people. I'm giving them to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Let every unsaved person receive salvation. May they confess Jesus Christ as their Savior. May they receive the Holy Ghost on the inside of the inside until their life is transformed. May every sick person, oh God, walk out of this place quickened by the Holy Spirit because you said if the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in us, it shall quicken our mortal bodies. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise our God. We thank you, Father, for it. We thank you for this time. And we say, draw us nearer. Draw us nearer, oh God. Draw us nearer through your word. Draw us nearer in this place. I am thine, oh Lord. I-